Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Just as we start, um, maybe some of you do know, maybe you don't know, Richard and I were in class one together. So we've known each other about 14 years and um, <laughs> it's obviously and um, but we've navigated many moments together. Um, he was my head boy at school, so he led me ever since then. I've been leading him. And so it's just the way life works, really. And, um, uh, uh, but actually, there are many things we can learn from this couple, and we're going to learn a number of things today. But one of them, specifically, Richard, in a world of social media presence, and hold that once you sit for a second, Instagram, and being really good at doing that well. Who knows? We could all do with a little bit of help with that. This, this guy can help us. Um, I'll show you why. This was a photo that appeared on Instagram a little while ago. And the hashtag was traveling again, the life of a pastor. (laughs) Now, I mean, besides the powerful lines, what I also noticed the next time he traveled, the same picture went up, which was interesting and kind of broke a few social media rules for me. But Rich, maybe right up front, uh, I, I mean... Is Jackie lying on the floor taking this photo? Have you booked the whole ramp? Is everyone else backed up watching this? Mo- Are there lights? I don't know. Is there like, what's the stage? I mean, that, that tricep is chiseled. The jacket is hanging perfectly. The bag is perfectly positioned to just be easy. Who knows? This is helpful stuff um, right to kick off. I mean, maybe just from that picture, what went into the making of this masterpiece? Again, it's a rise. Jackie probably made it happen. Uh, I think that's how we always travel. I'm always a few steps behind them. <laughs> but just some, you know, social media presence tips, Rich. I mean, uh... the best tip I can give is um, marry a wife who writes incredibly, gets thousands of followers, and then just <laughs> keep tagging her and everything, and then they slowly migrate into your, <laughs> into your followership. But uh, I have noticed they started to drop off because I can't keep up with Jess. But uh, I have no idea about that. No idea. That was, uh, that was in the early days of uh, Instagram. And, uh, we appreciate it. I was trying it on for size, I think. We, we really do appreciate your work. Well done. Anyway, that's not important at all. And we're having an amazing day, and many of you maybe do know, maybe don't know what happened on Christmas Eve um, in Durban, just literally outside the church that Richard and Jacks lead. So we're going to show a little video that tells you something of the story, gives you something of the context, and something of the journey, and then we're going to delve into that a little bit, just to give us tools and handles as we move forward to navigate times of trauma because I think we know if you've read the Bible enough, you'll know we're not exempt from times of trauma, sometimes pain, and the processes that are involved in that. So we can all learn for those processes. Can we show that video, please? Just um, We're having this session because actually I've watched many people navigate these type of times. When you do church for a long time, things like this are going to happen. And um, you get to do them up close to people sometimes. And not everyone handles these things well. I just want to say to my friends, you handled this incredibly well, and the world watched. Um, when I got back from Durban for a couple of days, we had three or four nights in, the, in camping, and I would hear families as I'd walk at night talking about this girl, Kiara, and keep hope alive. And uh, they watched your family, they watched your life, and Jesus got all the glory. And it's an incredible privilege to be your friends and to count um, that voice note, thank you, Richard, I got... As I got onto the plane, and the people around me on the plane thought I was having a nervous breakdown because I cried the whole way to Durban <laughs> uncontrollably. But God has done a miracle. And, and we want to learn from the processes sometimes as important as the product. And uh, maybe just the first couple of days, the, for 70 hours, oxygen wasn't getting to that brain. Every diagnosis was death. We were fetching kids to bring them to say goodbye um, to their sister, family members. Um, in those hours, what were the things you lent on kind of first and then probably the most? 
in just those hours, because we'll talk about the hours after that, but those hours. I'm going to answer the question now, but uh, Jack's has spoken. I just want to thank you, Life Changes, and uh, those that are a part of the story that are broader than that. Just again, thank you. I think this is an incredible victory for the saints uh, that prayed. And I think God has been kind. This is not just our miracle. I think it's our miracle. Uh, and we're also acutely aware that some of you are still trusting for yours. I think some of the things that we, we lent on, uh, Jax and I processed differently. Uh, and we had to give each other room to, to lean in differently into, into different things to get through that. I think you, you kind of go down to your base. There's only so many things you can tolerate when you come under that kind of stress. Uh, for me, uh, I will always run to a close group of friends. Uh, I, I need friends to lean on. And um, You have an incredible pastor. We've known each other for 34 years. And he jumps on an airplane on Christmas morning, leaves his family. Candice, thank you. Christmas lunch was different. Christmas dinner, Boxing Day, the next day, as VP stood by our side with our family. I, so I, I needed to lean on friends. And the VP was one of three guys that were really just really pivotal and critical in that moment. And so, uh, so just very thankful, very, very thankful for that. Uh, I think one of the things that we also did was we needed, to, uh, we needed to be able to allow others to bring counsel in when, when you go numb and uh, you know that your processing is not, you think you're processing clearly, but uh, you don't. And just who are those trusted friends that can put counsel into that space and put things into play? And so there were a couple of things that we needed. So uh, I think like Jack spoke last night, just around Job, having friends that would just sit with you for seven days. Uh, we, I had a group of friends that just sat with me. And uh, when I wept, they wept. When I laughed, they laughed. They didn't put their emotions onto me. They allowed me to carry my emotions in the right time. And then Jax had, had the same through a group of friends. Uh, I think also just being able to have guys just stand a little bit in the gap because it, it did become overwhelming. Uh, and I think, uh, so for us, one of the overwhelming factors was just the attention. God decided to put a spotlight on this. Uh, we're, we're so fully aware that our daughter was not the first daughter to have an accident. Uh, we are not the first family that got called in to say goodbye. Uh, we were not the first on anything, and yet God just chose to highlight this, this story. And so the attention that was on us and the number of people that came through uh, can be quite overwhelming as they want to come with their emotions in the moment, and we may not quite be there. And so just to have a group of friends that were able to stand in that gap, uh, just buffer us, uh, and so we could deal with our emotions in our own timing and our own space it was, was really, really good. Uh, on Christmas morning, before I received the phone call, we had decided Jax was going to go to the hospital, and uh, we believe in community. We believe that uh, wholeness and health is found in community. We believe that God puts us into a family, and so we believe that we need to press in at all times. Uh, and similar to, you know, when your body gets injured, blood runs to the pain, not away from the pain. Uh, so we need to run to the community when we are under, in pain. And so we had decided Christmas morning, my, my kids, the rest of my kids were all dressed. Jax was going to go to the hospital. We were going to go to church. We were going to go and have Christmas morning together because we had a critical decision to make. Is what I've preached for 20 years real or not real? Do I proclaim healing in community and then back out or do I run to community? And... Uh, and I'm just so grateful that first day was, I'm kind of telling you what we're leaning into, and you, you can interrupt me at any time. But uh, on Christmas Day, I think about th 
300 people, they estimate, were standing in one little waiting room. And I'm, I'm amazed that on Christmas Day, 300 people and all their families would give up their Christmas lunches, their Christmas plans, and come and pray in a hospital room. And I think that's, that's something to do with what family does. But it's also something to do with how you've invested your life. Um, and, and so that's maybe a little teaching moment, but, but I, we, we lent on community and the community was there and, and they proved themselves to be trustworthy and being able to be lent on. And so, uh, so we were very, very grateful for that. And then for me, I found that I needed, I needed Jesus to come alive to me through the scriptures. I needed a word of God from, from Christmas Eve at about one in the morning when Rich went to uh, get Kiara out of surgery, went to receive her. I stayed home because we hadn't yet figured out that we needed somebody else staying in our home so we could leave at any given moment uh, without our kids being unattended to at home. So I remained at home and just looked for a word from God and said, you need to give me something. And it was then that I got that scripture um, from Psalm 37 that says, keep hope alive as you long for God to come through for you. That scripture that carried us um, and, and those who prayed through that time. Uh, and I just found that I needed to do that a, a lot. I needed to keep going back to scripture. I needed to, when, when the waiting rooms were crowded, I need to, sometimes I could go and sit in ICU. Sometimes it's quite overwhelming, even to go into the bathroom cubicle and just find Jesus, let him be real. Um, even sometimes when in the waiting room to just be sitting on the floor with my Bible uh, and, and finding Jesus to be rock solid and real in the word and, and able to stand by him. Um, and so it was interesting. It was an interesting dynamic because as a married couple, we needed different things. And I, it, I, it was hard sometimes to think, why am I sitting alone next to my daughter's bed with the Bible? Where's my husband? Uh, why is he sitting outside in the waiting room? Why is he not with me? And to have grace for each other in that moment and to try and understand there's no ways that he is not absolutely devastated and absolutely trying to process in the wisest and best way that he knows how. And so to just actually give each other the benefit of the doubt, both of us in that moment, where he would want me to come and sit with, with the people who'd gathered around us, and I would say, well, I don't understand why you don't want to come and be alone with Kiara and, and with the Word of God, you know? And so just to give each other grace and assume the best, assume that each other are doing exactly what is most helpful in the moment, and then to uh, to take turns. Like sometimes, Richard was like, we're going out for a meal now, and I would leave my daughter and I see you in a coma and go out for a meal, and it felt wrong, and yet I knew it was so right because... Richard needed me there, so that was an interesting dynamic, but th those were kind of the things that we relied on, was community, um, and the Word of God, and, and times with Him. And I think there was, you know, in those moments you have uh, some significant things, so for, for us, for our story, and, but this can translate, I think, into multiple traumatic and stressful situations. On the 26th of December, um, when uh, they said, please prepare for the worst outcome, you can bring your family in to say goodbye. Uh, we, there was a moment where Jax and I were holding this terrible red form, which just says, do not resuscitate. Kiara had, during the night, so the night before, on... on I think it was Christmas night, had, her heart had started failing. And in the morning, we were told that they'd resuscitated her, and so that's why she was still alive. Uh, and yet they'd resuscitated her in order to live a life in a vegetative coma. And so we had to decide, well, would we want you to do that again? Um, yeah. And Jackson and I had come to the place where we were going to sign that piece of paper to say, please don't resuscitate her. And in that moment, we were able to stand with, with Mark and uh, with three other people that we really trusted because we had built, we've invested our lives together. And, uh, and they were able to stand around us and just give us such wise counsel in a moment when we were under huge duress and trauma. And, uh, and the result of that moment was to put that down 
Uh, we could always sign it at another time. But uh, just to put it down, it wasn't a time to make that decision, which would have been, which is not what would have happened if we had been on our own. And uh, sometimes I wonder what would have happened if we had signed it, compared to what we have today, you know? And so I think, uh, I can't stress, I, I can't tell you enough how thankful I am for the years we've invested properly into a relationship when it has suited us and when it hasn't suited us so that when we come to a moment like that, the scriptures say there's wisdom in the counsel of the godly and, uh, and we experienced the wisdom of Christ in the counsel of the godly in that moment and I would want to say to you, I mean the part of us being interviewed is not just to tell you what's happened to us but to encourage you to say how, how would what is your life going to look like if this were to happen to you? And I would say, if, if, you do not have, if you do not have a counsel of the godly, if you do not have friends that you can have that, that could help you in that kind of moment with absolute honesty, friends that can look you in the eyes and say, Richard, put that form down. I want to tell you, today is not too late to start, but you need that. Because how many decisions do we make isolated from the wisdom of the counsel of the godly and then we reap the consequences of poor decisions that we've made under stress and trauma? Maybe just to move forward a bit, uh, um, thank you, Janae. Why are you bringing it to me? Um, uh, after the statement, she's alive, she's going to live, um, there was a journey, a journey of Jack sleeping in hospital for weeks with six other kids at home going, where's mom? And Tata, the youngest, where's mom? And navigating that and stepping back into life. Maybe just some of the things that, um, the practical decisions and the choices you made in that time to survive. And, and maybe you're saying, why are we asking this? But everyone thinks this won't happen. Yeah. That's, let's just, pro it's every parent's worst nightmare that this would happen to their child. Everyone's. And I think, um, and, and that's the big thing. In Durban, I think the reason we got the appeal is Jackie's ability to ride, but also the Mangavan name is a name for many years. His dad, influential people in Durban. Durban was watching and going, but pastors, and no, this can happen to anyone at any time. And here's what God still wants. He still wants to get the glory. Yeah. And I think he gets the glory in our practical decisions and how we live life in those days. Maybe just give us some of those. I think it was it was key that as a family we parent together and so Richard was not babysitting at home <laughs> he was parenting at home in the evenings we were we both spent the day uh, in the hospital mostly but as the weeks went by I suppose Rich was less in the daytime there um, and so the kids had a present parent we gathered a team around us and even as a team we were quite careful to to swap places and I would go home and just take moments with the children um, as well, uh, such as even in those first few days, I would come home and I would literally one at a time find where they were sitting and go and just lie on top of them <laughs> and just put pressure on them and just be present physically, <laughs> present with them just for a few minutes so that they knew that connection, took the time to reconnect um, and so made made the most of the minutes that I had at home with, with each of them. Um, we, we were quite good, I think, at getting a team around us that we knew what, whose roles, who was doing what. I knew uh, Sandy was chief minister in charge of my home. So I, ha I didn't have to think, is there milk? Who's got the kids today? What's going on? That was her job. And it wasn't a whole group of people's jobs. It was her job, but she had, so I said to her, uh, this, 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 this. I gave her a couple of names. Uh, she put them on a WhatsApp group and she managed it. I didn't. And she said, right, today, the kids are doing this, who's going here, and so it, So we actually organized it, knowing that we were in for the long haul, um, instead of it being just 
being a bit messy, we said, well, just can you just, you in charge of that? Uh, somebody else, will you be in charge of managing all of these people that are coming to pray at the hospital? Can you make sure that they're not in the wrong room and, and irritating the staff and that as Christians, we're not giving uh, giving this hospital a reason to, uh, to hate us? Um, can you manage who comes and what sort of theology they're coming with and what they're, what they're praying about? Um, we didn't. We made sure that nobody was allowed into the into ICU where Kiara was when we weren't there because the news had gone far and wide, and there were all sorts of people coming to pray. Um, and so I think we organised it well with a team around us. That would be one of the things. Uh, and what and what that did. So just I think of one moment in particular is it allowed us to be present with who we needed to be present with, which was Kiara and our children. Um, and it gave us, in our very minimized capacity, capacity for the right thing. And so there was a moment where our eldest son, uh, I was with him at home, all the boys. And I just noticed him take himself up from all of us. We were talking and playing cards or doing something. And he just took himself off to his bedroom. And after two minutes, he didn't come back. And uh, I think just prompted by the Spirit of God, I, I went through to the room and he was lying on his bed and I just put my hand on him and he just burst into tears and we realized he was, he was 11 at the time and quite a robust young boy and we never know what emotions they're carrying because they might not be able to give it expression yeah. and I'm just so grateful that uh, because, of, because of a community that we could rely on I could do this and I didn't, try, I didn't have to counsel him in that moment. I just got to lie with him. And for 30 minutes, both of us sobbed our eyes out. Nothing needed to be said. And he got up and he came and joined the boys. And it was part of his processing. And, uh, and so again, putting Sandy into, putting some people into place just freed us up to not have to carry the daily concerns that we would all just carry naturally in our day-to-day -day life until such time as this. Uh, and so there, those are significant moments that I think have helped the family process uh, really well. Just before we move to the next question, I want to, there might be the temptation to say, well, they're pastors, so obviously the community gathered around. Now, I know many lonely pastors yeah. who don't have friends. I'm just going to tell you that's a real thing. I also know many people have incredible friendships who aren't pastors and can lean in. And there's a thing about Acts 2 that we all love and we say we want that in community and we leave communities because everyone wants that. But there's somehow they knew each other were in trouble at times. They knew who needed and they knew because there was real relationships that weren't formulaic and they weren't systematized and they weren't some sort of function of the church. They just loved each other. But you have to allow yourself to be loved. And so when I saw the sealers take their kids... There's a naturalness to the six kids, the one, uh, well, the five boys going with the sealers, because they'd always gone with the sealers. Why do I say that? I say sometimes having only your wings over your kids is dangerous unless you can't be there one day. Yeah. Are there other people who can put their arms around your kids and comfort them and love them and care for them? Because granted, you are the gift given to your parents to parent them, but actually God gave them a community too. Yeah. Yeah. Things like actually allowing your kids to be babysat just going to be honest yeah because you're going to wonder why no one can step into your place when you can't be there and then you get grumpy with community but community can't jump in where you haven't opened the door and 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 i say that because the people i step watch step into their life are not church members they were their friends who worked for years and i know them all so when rich phones me and says rich sealer is going to come collect the boys i know rich sealer i know the kids know us and i know the kids are fine and okay with that and 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 you don't need to start navigating new paths. And so it's an encouragement to start building. Maybe saying, I don't have anything like that. I'm rootless. I'm not grounded. Well, the Bible says, plant yourself yeah. in the house of the Lord and you will flourish. And um, just, I think it's important to get that because yeah. we can sit here looking, well, they're leaders in a community. That's why they got this. No, it's not. I've seen lots of people get this coming. But maybe, Kenz, you've got a question. Yeah, just um, firstly, before I ask the question, just... You guys have been incredible examples of walking through trauma. 
not only to us, I know to so many and so many that were watching and I know with all your blogging jacks, you journeyed that, we were able to journey that, you know. And um, so just, I just want to say well done. Such incredible examples. And um, I just want to ask you, if, if you had to face another trauma, what are the three main things that you would lean into that would help navigate that journey that you could maybe help us with, you know? Um, we've said community, 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 so I'm going to focus on something a little bit different. Um, so a lot of people commented on our vulnerability during during the whole process and the willingness to, to process openly. I mean, it really was quite a bizarre situation. I mean, we were being interviewed on radio stations long before there was a miracle. Kiara was news on the... Uh, on the billboards uh, of the lampposts on day three, she was going to die. There was no. It was. It was quite a bizarre um, set of circumstances, and we had to choose. And it's not easy because people are questioning your your theology, and they're saying, "Why do you follow this God? Do you, I mean, he obviously is not in control, and he obviously does not have only good things planned for you. Uh, why would you do this? And to continue to be vulnerable in our complete surrender to things that we don't always understand, um, and to just say, I, I don't know why." I don't know why, but I do still know that God is good, uh, and I do still know that if I live my life like an open book, the end is going to look good, and I don't know why, and I don't know how, but it was a difficult uh, journey to walk. I mean, for example, after s seven weeks, uh, we now Kiara was flourishing. Every, I mean, we, there was hundreds of thousands of people following the story by this stage. It was a, a strange phenomena that we'd never had to manage before. And, um, and she had to go in for another surgery in order to take the skull piece out of her abdomen and replace it on her brain. And she had a one in five chance of dying. And we have to realize that you're navigating this in front of now people that you don't know and to continue to live it vulnerably and openly, knowing that when we live our stories vulnerably and openly, people are looking at the outcome, but they're also looking at, do you really trust God? Do you really, do you really believe? Let me see into your heart. Is it true that what you say? Because in those moments, people will realize they might not see the end just like you don't see the end, but you clearly see a person they don't see. You clearly see somebody that they don't see that is making you not shake, even though the outcome could very well be horrific. So just, just a thought on vulnerability. I think also one of the key things, uh, and, I, and I would say this for married couples, is to understand, put yourself into your spouse's shoes. So obviously those early days, I processed very differently to Jack's and uh, it had the chance, it carried the risk of us getting frustrated with one another because Jack's wasn't coming into my world and I wasn't going into her world. Uh, and so we consciously had to make time on a daily basis to, to keep those short accounts to be processing um, uh, sometimes it didn't happen on a daily basis, but there was, there was really just stepping into Jack's. How, what, how does this make you feel? Like, what? It, talk me through what's going through your mind. Uh, being a pastor, I'm aware that when we counsel people, so often it's just distance grows by lack of communication, and uh, and what happens with this and what happens with distance is slowly a fence creeps in, and actually it was a very easy thing to resolve. Is just my personality and Jax's personality process trauma differently. And we had to give each other room for that. Um, I wanted to say something else. Maybe While you're thinking. something you mentioned upstairs, the management of other people's stuff in the process, because it can become bigger than it should. So you want, you've invited other people in big time. Hold, hold that thought. Okay. I, I'm going to answer it. Okay. We've the, been friends for 34 years. He can do that. The second I'll thing say. is, if you can tell me to put down a red <laughs> form, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> I think what you, you ask, what are, what are the three things? Yeah. Like, I'm very grateful. What, what it did was it confirmed the way Jax and I had lived our lives. Um, I think until you get squeezed, you don't know if what you've put in 
is going to come out good or not. And uh, so I'm very grateful. We, we've got seven kids, and people often confuse that with a complicated life. We live a very uncomplicated life. It's full, but it's uncomplicated. And I think some people with one child live very complicated lives. And so I, I think that, I think the way we talk with our kids, the way Jackson and I process, the way we invested into friendships, uh, we, we pray together as a family, we have devotionals with our kids, we, we led a life of order and peace, which meant when the chaos come, it wasn't chaos coming on top of chaos, and we were able to handle it. And so I think one of the three things, what it did for us was reaffirm possibly if there was going to be things that we started to get relaxed on and drop the ball on, it just confirmed again, actually, you've got to be vigilant on these things. There's a reason that we have daily devotions. There's a reason that we sit around the dining room table and talk with our kids. There's a reason Jax and I connect every day. There's a reason, there's a reason when the trouble comes, it's, uh, it's coming against order and government and peace. And even the simple things in that moment of um, healthy spirit, healthy mind, healthy body, even just eating well. And it sounds silly, but you're sitting in the hospital and straight away, day one, people are bringing us chocolate bars and chips and you just, and you think, no, no, I actually need to look after myself. I don't know what, I don't know what I've got coming up. I don't know what marathon, what marathon I have ahead of me. And right now is my opportunity not to form new habits, but to keep good habits. And so there was a choir just down the road. And if somebody asked, can I run and get you a snack? We'd say a smoothie would be great, you know? It's such a silly little thing. But it was something that we were like, well, we need to fuel ourselves well. We are in a, we are in a battle. And we need, to, uh, we need to dress ourselves like warriors in this moment and, and fight strong. So um, that was a, th a thing totally random, I don't even know if it fits into this moment, but um, I remember an incredible tenderness between Richard and I, and it, there was just this assumption that this person, who is normally incredibly strong and robust, there was an assumption on my behalf that he was stripped raw at, and completely grazed all over his whole body, and so there was a, are you okay? Can I? Good night, sweetheart. Are you there was just, and from both of us, there was an assumption of incredible rawness. And I've read a lot of memes since then and things on Instagram where people say, you never know what's going on in someone else's life. <laughs> and just the assumption that actually often people need a lot more gentleness and tenderness than we realize and to, to make use of that, particularly in a situation like that. Mark, you mentioned what was well, helpful and unhelpful. Let me give a, a picture because in the midst, there are many things I'm proud of my mates in this time, but one of them was a, a good-meaning, loving family member jumped on social media and started a GoFundMe account, which is amazing. And people want to get excited and emotions are high and there's a little kid in a hospital and there's a journey coming. And I remember mentioning it to Rich. I said, you saw? He said, yeah, I saw it. And then he engaged that family member and thanked them for their love and care and put out probably one of the most profoundly wise and mature posts I've ever seen on Facebook around just, they're okay, God's okay, thank you for those who want to give, but managing both the delicacy of the person who in a desire to do something great and good who loves you, and you don't doubt that, but also communicating to the world, there's this management of people around you in chaos that is essential, and, um, and you need to do that well. Maybe just one or two examples or thoughts on that, because I think that's what keeps people from throwing themselves into community. So we shout in community, but I know there's a lot of fears. What if people step in and they actually cause more trouble than good? I'll give Richard a moment to think about that response. Um, one thing that was, that was big, and I think is helpful for all of us when somebody is going through something. People were arriving at all hours of the night and day, day in and day out, arriving, and as they saw us bursting into tears, obviously wanting to come and say, I just need to give you a hug. When somebody is going through trauma, it's not about what you just need. <laughs> it's not about you. 
<laughs> hashtag, it's not about you. Um, <laughs> we, we totally started a hashtag. It was very private, but we're like, hashtag, not about you. <laughs> and so just in that moment, when you're wanting to love somebody, to read the moment, if you're wanting to support somebody in what they're going through, Pick a cue of what they're going through in that second and respond to that. Because do you know that sometimes we are sitting there while our daughter is dying a few meters away and we're having a coffee break and we're actually laughing because our, our souls are whole. Our daughter loves Jesus and she's going to heaven and we have stuff to be joyful about. And that does not mean that I've sat here shooting the breeze all day. I have been broken. I've been sobbing. I've been all of the things that I'm supposed to be in right now. I'm having a coffee break from having a, having a mental breakdown. And for somebody to arrive and go, oh, I just need to give you a hug. And then they hug you and then they just keep holding. And I'm not even hugging back. I'm like, why? Can you, are you not reading the moment right now? I'm not wanting all of your emotion. Yeah. And okay, normally I'm a far more polite than that. But actually in the moment when somebody is going through hectic stuff, take your cue off of them. Do, I mean, honestly, just the, even those words, which we say so often, I just need to say this to you. I just need to love you in this way. Just, you're saying exactly what you mean. You just need to. How can I help you? What, you? You look chilled right now. Do you need a coffee? Uh, when they said, as Rich said, laugh when he laughed, cried when he cried. I think that is huge in terms of being helpful, actually just sitting there and, and not feeling like you have to have all the answers. The, the girl who sat with me most of the time, Sandy, who was alongside of me, she said nothing. And she often went home and said to her husband, I feel like I've got nothing to offer Jackie. Uh, and meanwhile, to me, she never put her, she wasn't verbally processing all the time. So I could mentally process. And after she sat there in my silence for three hours, I could say, you know, I really don't know why God would blah, 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 because I'd had the opportunity and the silence, and then she was there as a listening ear. So in order to just let the person who's going through the stuff lead the process and be there to support them in the right moments, I think was everything. Um, and then there were, there were a number of people who did not interrupt their lives, who we love so, so very much, and have lived life like this with them, and our relationship will never be the same again because our lives have fundamentally changed and I, I now know what they would do in that situation. And, and, and I mean, I love them and we will continue to be friends, but I now know what they would do when I needed them the most. They would get in their car and drive and go on holiday. Um, no, nothing will ever change that. And one or two of them, we've actually had moments of sitting together and crying and them saying, I cannot believe we drove away. We thought it was a good thing to do so we could help you next week, but that was a stupid thing to do. And others who were okay with that and that has fundamentally changed our relationship forever. Yeah, I do think on, on that, you, know, you have a circumstance like this and like many that you may be going through or have gone through and uh, there's that moment of vulnerability. There's a moment where everything opens, the heart is ripped raw and then time goes on and it kind of closes over and then people want to go back into that space but you've missed the opportunity. And so I, I would encourage all of you to be that kind of friend that is like the blood that runs to the pain. When we are cut, Blood runs to the pain, and uh, and be that. So when Mark did, Mark didn't have to wait for my voice note, he knew from the from the twenty fourth night, I need to get on the first plane on Christmas Day. Whatever planes are going out of Cape Town, I'm getting on that plane, because he was running to our pain, and uh, that that window doesn't open again. It's done. And our lives have moved on, and those that were in it, our friendship has gone even further beyond what it was, and those that weren't in it, unfortunately, a step apart has been taken. Um, Mark, I think also, you know, obviously with the GoFundMe account and, and those kinds of things, uh, I, I, again, I, I sound like I'm... I'm, on a, I'm a stuck record, but I, I really believe it. I, I think without the counsel of a few trusted friends, you can get swayed, and, uh, swayed into all sorts of possibilities. And people mean well. 
people really mean well. And I think being able to keep your mind in that space of they mean well, but, but there are many who are just socially retarded. I can't say that. Inept. Oh, inept. Can we can we delete that from the recording? I think my speaking from the public platform is inept. No, no, people, because you know what happens in moments like that. So, uh, sorry, that was just a, a supposed to be a little light-hearted moment, uh, intentionally. Um, um, it, in high-stress situations, emotions govern reason. And, uh, and so what happens is people mean well, but they govern by their emotions. And what you need is you need to be able to process reasonably. And, uh, and you need help in... Reason reasonability, and so the GoFundMe account. So, so the reason we we backed out of that is because um, it seemed like a great idea that somebody wanted to do that, and then I think it was actually Mark, to be honest, who came and said to Rich, um, "Do you have need outside of your immediate community financially?" Um, and the truth is that we didn't, and for us to to draw on. Uh, people's heartstrings as opposed to our, our actual relational investment was unnecessary. We had relational investment where people were gathering around us to support us emotionally, financially, whatever support we needed, um, and it would continue. And so we actually didn't, we didn't need it, and it, does, it didn't honor, we felt, that because of how the church was being glorified in the way that they gathered around us, we didn't want to bring uh, glory to, to, to human generosity as opposed to the church's relational uh, weight and, and what that added to us. And so we just wanted to shift the focus. Um, this is helpful, eh? This is what life looks like. We can get excited and navigate, but if we can't navigate the lows, there probably won't be too many highs. And um, if Jesus is the lily in the valley, that means in the lowest parts, he's there, yeah. and he's beautiful, and he's fragrant, and he's powerful in all these things. Yeah. Um, maybe just a moment um, to speak to mothers in this place who've experienced trauma, or maybe will experience trauma, or maybe even the mothers whose children didn't make it. Because we celebrate, I walked into Anthem on holiday, I never go to church on holiday really. I walked into the back of that hall, I saw a little girl on the left at the back with hair about this long, and I was overcome by the goodness of God. But that's this story, and there are other stories that didn't end that way. And some of them are in this room. And without pinpointing or highlighting, what would you say to those parents now? And how would you give them hope? And how would you show them Jesus? I would say that they are the bravest people in the world. And um, handling life this side of heaven involves complete and utter surrender. No matter what you're going through, understanding that we don't always see the big picture, that there is hope in eternity. And maybe if I can share with you uh, what God spoke to me when I was sitting on Boxing Day, uh, the, that day that we were deciding whether or not to sign the form, and sitting there looking at Kiara, and she looked like, she didn't look like the good plans that God has for me or for her. It just looked like an absolute blur and an absolute mess. And I started to pray, and I said, God, you have to help me understand how you bear looking at me in pain. I'm your child, and I can't bear looking at my child in pain, and you're looking at me. How do you handle this? You need to, you need to open my eyes. And um, again, opened, opened my little Bible and started to read through Romans, and he started to show me in Romans, it speaks about the suffering of this world and all of creation standing on tiptoe, yearning for that day, that one day we are going to be completely and utterly restored, even the restoration of our bodies, 
and how as earth and as people, we are in labor right now for something that is absolutely beautiful. And it says, but hope means that we need to wait for what is still unseen. And as, as I started to read this and started to understand what was coming, that our hope really was in the future, I felt like, do you remember those ancient old um, 3D posters? Not the today 3D movies that you can kind of see the picture. These 3D posters were a complete utter blur. It looked, it looked like somebody had splashed paint onto a poster. And then um, you look through it at a distant focal point, and this mess starts to create a picture, and in the far distant, just before your focal point, is the Eiffel Tower normally, and you can start, it starts to make sense. Uh, and at other times, you still have to keep your eyes on the distant focal point, but the picture that starts to come is just behind the poster, and it's a picture of a man's face. And um, I realized that as I looked through into eternity, I was, Kiara was right in front of me, and I looked... And I started to see eternity, but this mess was the colors that was making the picture. This very mess of my, my baby girl on her deathbed with no oxygen in her brain was the picture of, that was form, was the color and the mess that was forming the picture. And as it, began, it started to become really, really easy to see her later this afternoon dancing in heaven as I looked at the distant focal point and could see the Eiffel Tower picture. And actually, when, we st when our picture is for now, when Kiara's healing started happening, I, I almost, it was very, very difficult to me to hold on to the hope that God gave me that day. Because if you've ever experienced those posters, whenever the picture starts to form just behind the poster, that face one that's really close, you want to bring your eyes here and look at it and enjoy it. But as you look at it, you lose it completely because you've taken your eyes off of the actual focal point. Yeah. And I, I realized in that moment that actually, when we have our eyes on the right place, our focal point is correct, the picture comes into play. And your picture may be there. And if you have your eyes on the right focal point, for me, it was easier to understand that picture. And this one was actually very difficult, even though I'm very grateful that it was our story. But in that, you have to completely and utterly surrender to the fact that you cannot look at the mess. The mess looks like mess. But can you trust God to look all the way through it and let the mess start to form a picture? It was, it was in surrender that we won our victory. It was one long, this whole thing of Kiara waking up, that was, that was amazing. But it's the victory of the surrender and standing in the face of death. The, 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 the roar of death and the roar of the lion and of Judah and not running from that battle as you're not actually a part of it and the roar is going on over your head and to say, I, I know who wins. I stand. I surrender. I'm not going to try desperately hard to make sense of this mess. I'm going to look into the distant future and trust you that you're going to bring something beautiful of it. Surrender is the only word that I have. Yeah, so much more to say. At the end of the day, God is glorious. Yeah. And uh, can we stand together for a moment? I feel like this is a holy moment. Easy to monologue and preach sometimes. Sometimes as a preacher, you're preaching things and you're standing there preaching going, God, I'm choosing to say this because your word says it, not because I've lived it or even right now feel it. That's just the honest truth. It's called faith. It's going to hurt. It's going to flabbergast some people. It's going to make you misunderstood by many. There will be judgment with it. There will be challenges that come along with it. But it's called faith. It's not going to make sense. But I want to believe in this moment that as we are navigating a story of God's victory, that the triage of heaven is here to heal other pains where there's been trauma realized I am a pastor, I spend my life with people, I love sitting with people, and I believed a theology that Jesus was enough, so I never had to talk to anyone until I realized I actually had to talk to someone about some things. And when I sat with a lady, I felt 100% when I walked in after three minutes, I was crying like a baby, a mess on a couch, helping me through stuff. Because we need Jesus in those places where we've got hurt and where trauma has come. And sometimes it's trauma in your life. 
sometimes the trauma of others in your world where you've loved that comes into your world and causes pain and story. But there's the triage of heaven. There are the love of Jesus, the power of the Spirit to heal and bring wholeness so that you can run back into the fire again. I love that song, There's Another in the Fire. That whatever fire we're in, Jesus is there. Whatever fire you are in right now, if you will look for Him, you will see Him. Because He's with you. He loves you. Can we close our eyes just for a second before we just rush on? I don't know why I've got that idea of the, the triage of heaven is here for those who've had trauma. And I don't think the tears in the room are just because of the Mangavan story. I think the tears in the room are because the story is closer to home for many. But unless you allow that space to be invaded by the grace of God, the healing of heaven cannot come. I'm not saying God can't. I'm saying we don't let him. It might be a relationship that is a mess. And right now it's abuse and pain. That's called trauma. It might be the loss of children in the womb. It might be the loss of grown children with personalities and characters who you loved being around. And they no longer allow around. It might be the pain of a spouse that is gone. It might just be circumstances and situations that got so big. And you crumbled. And you hear of people who stood and they made good decisions. You didn't. I want to ask you to now. To allow heaven into those places. As we stand in this holy moment. And first and foremost give glory to a glorious magnificent God and then ask him to strengthen his daughters to love his daughters to heal his daughters you hold that key you hold the key can we close our eyes just for a second all I'm asking you to do right now is have the courage to open the door We open the door to Jesus. We open the door to the Father of all comfort and compassion. Will you just open the door to the Spirit of God who heals and brings freedom and joy and life where there is death, darkness, and brokenness? Will you open the door and with the smallest amount of faith that you might have, Say, Jesus, will you come in to that cavern of my heart right now? Maybe it's a 50-year-ago scenario. You push so far back, you think it's gone. And yet it still dictates your every response and step. Right now, I ask you for one act of faith. Say to the lover of your soul, Jesus, I open the door. Father, I open the door. Spirit of God, all I have strength to do is open the door. Would you come in? And we're just going to be quiet for the next 30 seconds. And I ask, let faith arise in this room to open the door.